Well, welcome to the water cooler, everybody. I'm David Brody. It is Thursday, November 11th, and we have a POTUS sighting. We need a sound effect or something for that. Uh, not a POTUS elect sighting, an actual POTUS. For the first time in five days, we actually saw President Donald J. Trump in the flesh. On this Veterans Day, he made his way in the rain to Arlington National Cemetery, where he paid his respect to the fallen veterans in our country. Meanwhile, at about the same time, election officials in Georgia announced that it's time for a hand recount in Georgia, the hand jive, that we could actually take 10 days to find that result out. Then they're going to go to a machine recount, so settle in, everybody. Of course, the New York Times uh, isn't settling in at all. I mean, look at this headline. Election officials nationwide find no fraud is what they tell us. Well, yeah, thanks, New York Times. I mean, look, if the New York Times said it, then it's got to be gospel. Insert sarcasm here. Of course, I have yet to see any true blue uh, on-the-ground shoe-leather journalism from the New York Times or any other major liberal media outlets so far. We're going to have more on that a little later. Uh, First, though, our newsmaker, we want to get some legal answers on this unfolding legal fight. And who better to do that uh, then we're going to talk to Jenna Ellis. Now, she is senior legal advisor for the Trump campaign. She's also personal counselor to the president. Now, remember, we talked to Kaylee McEnany earlier. Uh, when I say earlier, we talked to her on the show yesterday. And we've talked to a lot of different people from the Trump campaign. But it's Jenna Ellis that has a lot of constitutional and legal answers. Here's Jenna from earlier. Joining us now, uh, Jenna Ellis, the uh, senior legal advisor to uh, the Trump campaign and the personal attorney for the president of the United States. Uh, Jenna, thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Great to join you as always, David. There's so many legal issues to get through. Why don't we start with this 30,000 foot view as to this Yogi Berra phrase, right? It's not over till it's over. Where are you guys? What's the mindset right now, Jenna? Yeah, that's exactly it. And in fact, I wrote that in an op-ed earlier this week. It's not over till it's over. And when it's over is when every legal vote is counted fairly and accurately and states certify their results. And then the Electoral College, uh, which the states, of course, select their delegates, then they vote. And then at that point is when we know who wins the presidential election. So for all of these projections from the mainstream media, uh, when you still have six states that are outstanding uh, and have allegations of either uh, massive and inappropriate uh, fraud and irregularities and all kinds of things that are going on, and also recounts that we know of at least two states, then it's really irresponsible of media to project Joe Biden as the president-elect and start calling him that as if this is already done. I mean, the mainstream media just wants to coronate Joe Biden and say, hey, just trust us, don't verify anything. Well, we're gonna verify because the American people deserve to have legitimacy in the outcome of the presidential election and also all the way down ticket, David. When you look at what's happening in Georgia with the the Senate race, um, that absolutely has to be counted fairly and accurately and recounts and also legal challenges are not unprecedented. But of course, the media wants to treat President Trump and 2020 totally different than any other election before. Yeah, Jenna, it's amazing to me. The media is saying, where's your evidence? And I'm thinking to myself, isn't this the stage that we're in now where you're collecting the evidence? 
Yes, they want to just pretend that uh, the court of public opinion is somehow uh, the court that determines the legal outcome. You know, they think that they somehow have left the media and joined the federal bench in Pennsylvania and can make determinations just on the face of our lawsuit. Well, you know, that's fine if they want to go and actually uh, go through the process of joining the bench. But until then, uh, no, they're not. Uh, they cannot just sit here and pretend that the court of public opinion and denying that we have sworn affidavits, that we have um, all of these allegations and evidence that needs to come forward. We're still uh, getting a lot of reports through our hotline, through our website. Uh, we're still gathering that evidence. And that's why our Pennsylvania lawsuit uh, that was filed Monday is so incredibly important, because all we asked in that case was that the court would intervene in Pennsylvania and prevent uh, Pennsylvania election officials from certifying their results until we know that those results are fair and accurate. Yeah, so Jenna, just so let's go through this a little bit, get it in the weeds to a degree at least. There's a lot of different um, evidence out there, if you will, from Michigan to Wisconsin to the voting machines, Dominion voting machine, all of this. And then, of course, there's Pennsylvania that you just talked about. That seems to me, you tell me, you're the legal scholar here, uh, that the larger or the bigger or the more significant constitutional challenge uh, based on the state legislature is the one that really should be deciding this, not the high court there. Yeah, well, you know, in Pennsylvania, uh, we have a couple of different legal challenges, and it's important from a broad perspective that the type of legal challenge is different in each of these states. So you can't really just say, oh, this is all the same, because when we're asking for a recount like in Georgia, that's not the same as Michigan, where we're saying, you know, we haven't gotten meaningful access to uh, to look and count the ballots uh, similarly to Pennsylvania. And all of these, you mentioned uh, the Dominion voting machines, uh, you know, in some of these upwards of 57 or more counties across several states. And so in Pennsylvania, um, there is a multifold challenge uh, there where not only have we been denied meaningful access, but the state, even up through election day, was not acting according to its state law. The governor there and the election officials there cannot change state law. They cannot run their elections contrary to the legal process there by uh, not by counting late ballots. Uh, that's why the Supreme Court intervened and said, no, we have to segregate the ballots. Um, they We also have allegations and sworn statements uh, where the, the Democrat-led counties were tr trying to cure some of these mail-in ballots by going out and, uh, and doing this canvassing, this pre-canvassing before Election Day, to ask people to come in and vote provisionally so that they could, uh, before Election Day, so that they could make sure to get their vote counted. And so that becomes a two-tiered system, where people who exercise the mail-in uh, vote had an opportunity uh, to cure their their ballot, or they may have voted twice. I mean, so there's so many issues that are going on with these irregularities and outright fraud mm -hmm. that this is why we all have to take a deep breath, step back and say, we have to get to the bottom of what actually happened. And we're still gathering that evidence. We have to pause on the certifications. And then we have to make sure to go through and count these ballots according to the law. That's why every legal vote should count. And David, yeah. if Joe Biden and the Democrats were so confident that he won legally 
genuinely, they would be willing to have full transparency and they would agree with us that every legal vote should be counted. But notice, no Democrat and nobody in the mainstream media is agreeing with President Trump and Team Trump. And all we're saying is that we understand we are a nation of rules of law, not just all of these Democrat operatives that want to coronate a candidate. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Al Gore was saying the same thing that uh, Donald Trump is saying today. I mean, Al Gore was saying count every vote. Uh, anyhow, I, I don't want to get into all of that. Oh, my gosh, I'll go on a, on, a, on a tangent there. All right, let me ask you a little bit about the pushback from the media. The media is saying, well, yeah, okay, there's voter fraud, you know, here and there and all that. But, but this idea of widespread voter fraud that could overturn tens of thousands of ballots in multiple states is, in their words, preposterous. What do you say to, to that? Well, you know, widespread is a subjective term, right? And that's what the mainstream media is doing, is that they're trying to minimize the impact of the fraud to say, well, it's not widespread enough. And so they can move the goalposts so that whenever we bring forward the evidence, they can say, oh, well, that's not enough. That's not enough. That's not enough. But the but the issue here is that it may not be outcome determinative. That's true. But we have to see first. And don't they want to know? Um, and when we're talking about six states and we're talking about these really narrow margins in some states and we're talking about, uh, you know, over 600,000 ballots in Pennsylvania that have not uh, been looked at by GOP uh, poll watchers and uh, and the election observers and the counters there. I mean, that's that is really significant. And so again, you know, they're just trying to minimize this. And this is coming from the same party that shouted Russia collusion for three and a half years without a shred of evidence, and then moved forward and dominated the airwaves with this impeachment hoax when we had. Donald Trump with uh, President Trump with the full transparency of the transcript of the Ukraine phone call. And we had the evidence that there was absolutely nothing wrong with that. Yet they pushed that narrative. So we're seeing that the mainstream media, yeah. the Democrat operatives, the Democrat liberal activists want to push their narrative regardless of what the facts and the truth show. We are now in a post-election world. So we are no longer uh, campaigning for either candidate. What the legal team wants to do is make sure that the law and the Constitution is preserved and protected. Jenna, I, before we leave, I, I want to ask you about some of this other pushback uh, that's out there, this idea that the Republicans actually did pretty well in the House races. They won a few more seats than they were expected to. So the, the criticism will be, well, how is that possible? And yet, you know, this election might have been stolen from Trump or that these these ballots don't jive. But the other Republicans did pretty well when it comes to House races. What's the answer on, on something like that? Yeah, well, isn't that curious? And what we have to look at is why are there so many ballots uh, that only have the presidential ticket filled out and the rest of it not? So, um, you know, if, if you're targeting fraud and you want to do you want to swing the outcome of just one election then it's much quicker to just fill out a ballot with uh, the, the presidential candidate that you prefer and just leave the rest of it alone. So that's what we have to look at. And we have to see, okay, for all of these ballots that only have uh, the president filled in, then we have to see, you know, was that a legitimate ballot? Were there enough people who took time to vote and only voted in the presidential race? That's yeah. highly suspicious. Yeah. yeah, Jenna, by the way, uh, 20 seconds or so, but you talked to the president. Is the president kind of in a fighting mood? What's the mood he's in right now? 
He's in a mood that he is 100% for preserving and protecting the Constitution, the rule of law. He's in this fight for as long as it takes. And he recognizes that this isn't about the outcome. This is about preserving election integrity. And I am really proud to serve this president because he understands what's so important for not just his election, but for the future of America. Jenna Ellis, always great to speak with you. Thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Great to see you. All right. That's Jenna Ellis. Uh, Always informative. Very interesting to get that perspective. We're back with a whole lot more show when we come back. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Okay, so Fox News, uh, let me think, they're under attack a little bit. Uh, Conservatives not happy with a lot of things under the sun as it relates to Fox. They started calling Arizona first uh, for Biden, Uh, Chris Wallace in the debate. They pulled Kayleigh McEnany's mic. They said enough of her the other day live. Neil Cavuto did that. So there's a lot of frustration with Fox News. Uh, Let's get more on that right now as we head to uh, Manhattan, New York, uh, and check in with uh, Real America's Voice, Amanda Head, uh, who is there outside of Fox News headquarters. Hey, Amanda, thanks for being here on the uh, water cooler. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, yes, I am standing in front of the News Corps building. This is what houses Fox News, although I don't know if they will be here for you know the duration of the next few years, because if they can't pay their bills, then they can't keep the lights on. And it seems like their ratings and their viewership has been sliding downward with the exception of three time slots, Tucker Carlson, Hannity, and Laura Ingram. But I will note that Monday night on Tucker Carlson's show, there was a tone that a lot of people saw very different Uh, appear last night and not in a very good way. So um, we don't know what the future of Fox's ratings will be. We've we've seen a leftward shift for them. A lot of Fox News viewers started to see that happening when they hired Donna Brazil, who regularly appears on the network as a contributor and a correspondent. So it's going to be rough waters for Fox News until they can pull back those people. Um, You know, Murdoch, when he conceptualized Fox News, it's not because he was a conservative or a Republican. He just, as a businessman, recognized that there was a gap in mainstream media that needed to be filled. Unfortunately, Rupert's sons, James and Lachlan, do not uh, seem to really care about the business side of things. It's just the politics because both James and Lachlan are outspoken Democrats and also James' wife, Catherine Murdoch. Uh, the two of them, James and Catherine, donated hundreds of millions of, millions of dollars to the Biden campaign. And then after uh, Biden's, the announcement that Biden had won by networks, which doesn't mean anything, uh, she tweeted, we did it. So a lot of people are very, very upset with Fox News right now. Well, you know, Amanda, uh, the the president has been just uh, torrid against Fox News. When I say against, I'm talking about that daytime programming uh, mostly. I mean, he's not talking about Tucker or Laura Ingram or Sean Hannity, obviously, but he has been on a tirade really against Fox News for a long time. And I just wonder if it, if it really, if he was wasn't right all along because what we've seen during this election coverage. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that a lot of people started recognizing this and obviously President Trump calling it out, but people weren't really ready to leave Fox News. Fox News has been such a staple in a lot of Republican and conservative households across America for literally decades. And a lot of people, you know, they just leave it on Fox News because they don't want, you know, whatever the other networks are offering. And so it was more a matter of convenience. But now, it's a matter of standing up for what you believe in for a lot of people who have supported Fox News over the years. They feel like Fox News no longer represents them, no longer gives them a voice. So, you know, it's an inconvenient thing to do, but a lot of them are going and finding other networks, networks like Real America's Voice. Right. And, and, and you know what's interesting, Amanda? You, give me your take on this. This has been my analysis of Fox News. Everybody talks about it, you know, from a conservative perspective or it's conservative versus liberal. I don't know about any. I mean, there, there's some of that, that, that that's true. But I think the underlying issue with Fox News is that ultimately it's more establishment. Uh, in other words, you know, they want to be liked. Uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit more of the, uh, you know, the latte sipping uh, D.C., Washington crowd. And, you know, let me look at Chris Wallace, for example. I mean, I don't want to single him out, even though I just did. Uh, you know, but just this idea of, of it's really more establishment Republican rather than uh, MAGA nation or, you know, that conservative uh, underbelly that we're seeing out there in the country. It seems like there's a, a distinction between the two. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you articulated that because that kind of parallels what I was talking about with people, you know, leaving the matter of convenience on the wayside and shifting to other networks. That's kind of what it is for a lot of people. It's it's the shift away from what they stand for. You know, President Trump, whether you like him or not, it is a very, very new Republican Party. And as as I have spoken about on air and to friends, I think that, you know, with with other networks calling the election for Joe Biden and the media doing everything they can to try to make this legitimate on their own, which of course they can't do until the electors decide, but they're doing everything they can to to push Joe Biden being president. But unfortunately, yeah, Fox News, you know, they they have supported a lot of this this rhino, this establishment Republican complex. And that's just not where the Republican Party is anymore. You look at the support for the president this time around, you look at the support for him since election night. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. I've seen more people speaking out about their support for him now than since then prior to the election. I've had four friends reach out to me since the election and say, hey, please tell me President Trump is going to fight this. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? You support President Trump? So people are coming out of the woodworks. And I think that you also have a lot of people, I hope, in America who, regardless of what side of the aisle they're on, they see a lot of these issues of fraud and they're thinking to themselves, okay, this time I get it. It's benefiting Joe Biden. But at some point, the pendulum is going to swing in the other direction and it's not going to benefit my guy so maybe i should speak up now while i still can yeah no for sure hey why i have you there i know we were talking about fox news but i gotta ask you about new york overall the city i mean i'm from new york uh, uh look i grew up on that upper west side of new york i have to tell you my mom who's lived there for 40 years she's left she says the city is totally different uh, i'm wondering uh, any sense of a vibe of what new york is like what's been your uh impression so far 
Yeah, I've spent a lot of time in New York City over the course of my life, and the streets and the sidewalks are definitely not as busy. Restaurants are opening up a little bit, but they've got outside seating where tables are very, you know, far spaced apart. So the city is definitely not bustling as much as it usually is, and it is likely, it looks like de,、uh, de Blasio has announced that they are going to、uh, reinstitute the shutdowns because the rate of infection has gone back up to, I think it's. It's 2.34 percent. Now, this, of course, is after Bill De Blasio and thousands of other Biden supporters took to the streets after the announcement of Joe Biden's non-win、uh, outside wearing, or excuse me, not wearing masks. So that、yeah. that number is going up. And I will tell you, you know, coming here to New York, I I sent our travel coordinator at the network a panicked text message the night before we left because I said, oh my goodness, they are reinstituting this thing where when you fly、right. to New York, you have to show proof of a negative COVID. Test from the past three days. Now we got in just、yeah. before that window closed, so we're good. But we did have to fill out a health form when we got、wow. off of the plane at LaGuardia. Well, Amanda, I'm glad you're there and safe, and、uh, you didn't have to deal with all of that because that's a headache for sure. I appreciate、uh, you coming、yes. to us today from New York. Thanks so much, Amanda. Of course, thanks, David. All right.、Uh, when we come back, Paul Farhi from the Washington Post will join us, the media critic. Hey, we may have a few things to discuss. Back in a moment. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. All right, the the media's treatment of this whole idea that、uh, Joe Biden is president-elect, even though nothing has been actually certified yet. I guess he's everything's a bit in limbo, but n- the media doesn't really see it that way at all. I want to bring in a Washington Post a media critic, Paul Farhi,、uh, as I like to call a friend of the show.、Uh, so, Paul, thanks for coming back, and、uh, really appreciate it. Oh, sure, David. I enjoy doing it. Well, great. Hey, listen. I want to show you this New York Times headline、uh, from today,、uh, and, and I'll just read it to you right here. We'll put it up on the screen. It says, "Election officials nationwide find no fraud," and that pretty much kind of sums up the way the media sees it. What is your take about the media's role in terms of how they're framing this? Because there's that one universe, and then there's the Trump universe that sees it much differently. Well, we like to think of ourselves as the fact-based、uh, media, and、uh, so far the facts suggest that there is no fraud.、Uh, there are allegations; we've reported on those allegations, but we talk to the people who are close to the voting, and they tell us over and over again that there's no fraud. And maybe we'll find some. I'm not. You have to leave that door open. But the fact of the matter is, is at this point we've seen none. So, Paul, isn't the the role of the media? And here's been my big beef with the media. Isn't it just get back to shoe leather journalism? In other words, I know we have a New York Times headline that says election officials find no fraud. But as I read the article, it was really just them, them, the New York Times, talking to election officials rather than on the ground shoe leather reporting. There's a lot of allegations out there.、Uh, where is it? Seems like that part of the media landscape it's missing out there. It's just like it's just not there. I, I'm curious about your take on that. Well, David, allegations aren't facts. I mean, I could tell you that I am the greatest、uh, long-distance runner in the world, 
you would go and check that and you would find out that I'm not the world's greatest long distance runner. This is what's going on right now. There is an allegation, there is an assumption, there is a, a series of charges. It's our job as part of the media to go find out if those things are true. Uh, and so far, we have not found those things to be true. We are reporting what is verifiable and identifiable. And in this case, what's verifiable and identifiable is not that there has been widespread fraud. Yeah, I guess, and once again, you're right on the widespread part of it, uh, and I think that's the, the challenge for the Trump campaign for sure. Uh, in terms of sworn affidavits, we know there's 130-plus in, in, in Michigan, and there's other places. Uh, there are people to talk to. I just haven't seen that on the network news or in the Washington Post and New York Times. I, I think you have to go by what has we have traditionally done. We are creatures of habit. In every election, there have been some allegations, some suggestions of irregular things happening. Uh, going back to, I can think of 1960, when uh, all those dead people in Chicago allegedly voted. Yes, you need to report those things and check those things out. Does it amount to uh, a, a, enough uh, suggestion to overturn the results of an election? So far, no. We haven't gotten to that point. We do know that the administration, that the president is accusing and making those statements that there is widespread fraud. But again, let's check it and let's find out if it's true. So far, we haven't found it to be true. Okay. Uh, Kaylee McEnany was on our show yesterday. I want to play a little bit of that. She talks about the media's coverage of this and also about the transparency issue. So ha have a listen. All we are saying is let's press pause, allow us to look, allow the courts to look at what happened, and then we can move forward united as a country. Uh, but we believe asking for transparency should be a, a good thing. And it's amazing with the Democrats, they tried to delegitimize the 2016 election for four years. All we're asking is for transparency. Uh, and we have the media attacking us simply for asking to put light on the system. You know, Paul, it seems to me at least that at that point, you would just say, you know what, let, why not give it time? I mean, there, there's evidence that, that they're accumulating now. That's what they're in, they, the accumulation stage right now. Well, we haven't seen a lot of accumulation. Again, we've seen uh, an accusation. And Kaylee McEnany's role is very interesting here. She's the White House press secretary. Right. She is an employee of the government. Her job is to provide information about the administration. She has now become an advocate for the president's campaign. She has become a political figure. Uh, is that kosher? Is that right and proper? That's an unusual uh, turn of events that someone whose job is to be employed by the taxpayers has become now uh, a political uh, advocate for one candidate. So you're suggesting it could be, and you're not saying it is, but you're saying the legality of all of that needs to be looked into. Oh, I certainly think uh, the legality of it is questionable. Uh, it it does need to be looked into. You know, this is just an assumption that this is uh, is right and proper, and that her role is to advocate for the president, no matter the context. Um, I think the law, the Hatch Act itself, would say otherwise. Let me ask you about. Uh, I'll just use the term criticism of the media. I, you know, I, I know you're you've kind of been defending the way this has been covered by the media. Is there anything that you think the media could do maybe a better job in as it relates to the election coverage or this story or, or, or anything along those lines? Or, or are you comfortable with how it's all kind of gone down? 
Yes, I'm comfortable by how it's all gone down because we're speaking in sort of broad uh, terms here. If you go to an individual network, if you go to an individual news organization, you'll always see flaws. We are imperfect, um, sure. and there's no suggestion that we we aren't uh, that we are. Excuse me. Uh, but in totality, I, I think the mainstream media has tried to keep things level. Tried to say that we hear the allegations, we've reported the allegations, yeah. we've investigated those allegations and found not a lot to do with, not a lot uh, to, to support those allegations. I'm just going to tell you, Paul, just, just straight up between you and me on, I guess, on live national television, that uh, you say the word level. I, I think there's a lot of folks that don't think it's level at all. I'm, and you know I think that. there are a lot you of folks, that. yes, I think there are a lot of folks who think that. But uh, again, bring me the facts and we'll talk about the facts, not feelings, facts. Yeah. By the way, uh, I've got 30 seconds or so. I'll have to have you on another time about this. But Fox News, the facts that, that Neil Cavuto cut Kelly McEnany off on Fox News, that, that obviously spoke volumes, I'm assuming. Well, that's an interesting uh, question because Fox News has generally been supportive of the president. And in doing that, that was unprecedented. And, and frankly, I would object to that. Let's hear her out. Let's hear what she has to say. You can say and put in context what she's saying later. But if you're going to have her on, cutting her off just seems... Uh, going too far. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with that, you on that. All right, uh, Paul, always great to see you and uh, hope you'll come back. Likewise, David. Thank you very much. All right, Paul Farhi with The Washington Post. Uh, always good insight uh, and really like to have him on. Why? Because it's a calm conversation. I mean, we're just talking. It's like two guys uh, at a deli, I guess. I don't know. Listen, I'm just saying a deli because I'm a big fan of deli. Cat's Delicatessen, New York City. I haven't been there in a while uh, because, you know, I'm not going anywhere near New York. You know what I'm saying? But the pastrami at Cat's Deli? 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 What am I saying? Back in a moment. I'll figure it out. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. All right, uh, voter fraud and the election. There are some people that were warning about this for a very long time, including our next guest. And we want to bring him back. He's a, um, we're calling him a friend of the show. We call a lot of people a friend of the show, but there are certain people that are in that upper echelon, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, Eric Eggers uh, joins us now. Uh, he has a book that he wrote uh, called Fraud, How the Left Plans to Steal the Next Election. And boy, that sounds about kind of accurate, especially if you talk to the Trump campaign. Hey, Eric, great to see you back here on the show. I'm glad you came back. Did we Venmo you the money? Thanks for being here. Hey, if you've ascended me to the upper echelon, like that is all my broken, you know, emotional narcissism needs. I'm ready for it. <laughs> okay. Well, listen, let me just say, because you're in the upper echelon, there's a lot of pressure right now to perform in the next six and a half minutes. So I hope you're, hope you're ready for that. Um, all right. Let's begin with uh, voter fraud, shockingly. Um, what, what have you seen? As a matter of fact, I want to pl- show you something. Uh, this is in Breitbart. Uh, you were actually quoted in Breitbart the other day. It was actually a headline. Uh, says, Eric Eggers says this, weird anomalies in Michigan, Pennsylvania raise tough questions among voters. Uh, talk to me a little bit about what you've been seeing out there, Eric. Yeah, thanks, David. And I want to be very clear, and this is one of the challenges in terms of the way the laws are written and the evidence that we're allowed to see that will make, I think, proving a legal case for voter fraud 
challenging and it's one of the things that have led to the narrative that voter fraud you know isn't widespread or isn't a real problem but that doesn't mean that the true honest weight of america's voice is being heard in the democratic process so one of the things that people are analyzing is this ratio of biden votes to trump votes that came in michigan and they're seeing some kind of anomalous trends in terms of the data so in michigan it's one of the things where the data scientists are saying well look you know, basically when the ballots get delivered and they've been shuffled in by mail, we should get a true and consistent line. And when they see discrepancies in those lines or, or slopes for those of us that are watching and that are in like algebra class, uh, like those are the types of things that ping on the radar and say, hey, you know, that might be a problem. We've seen reports about, you know, when were absentee ballots requested and then delivered in Pennsylvania from nursing homes. Now, once again, that is not in and of itself, according to my non-legal opinion, uh, sufficient grounds to maybe see the type of decisions legally that the Trump campaign is pushing for, but it's still something worth paying attention to, as is the idea that what the state Supreme Court ruled in Pennsylvania is the idea that, hey, okay, yes, you should you can accept ballots after deadline, but you're going to need to kind of keep them separate just in case we revisit this decision. So to the extent that those dead, those uh, the separation didn't happen, then that's going to make a true audit very difficult. So those are among the things I think people are raising questions about. Right. So, Eric, uh, Kaylee McEnany, uh, who is now working in her personal capacity as uh, a campaign advisor for the president, we had her on the show yesterday. Here's what she said about Democrat fraud. Have, have a listen. It's a very basic and I would think non-controversial principle uh, that when you are anti-voter ID, showing an ID at the polls, just like you would have to do if you were purchasing alcohol uh, or anything else, um, if you are against looking at voter eligibility, making sure the voting rolls don't have dead people on them, making sure that everyone there is a, a live active voter, if you are against um, making sure that signatures are verified and double checked, then you are welcoming voter fraud. It's a very basic principle. Why else does signature verification exist and ID check exist other than to root out fraud? You are welcoming it by asking for the converse, which is exactly what Democrats have done in several states across the country. Eric, what do you make of that? I think Kayla's exactly right. I should have had her helping me sell my book, you know, when it came out originally, right? It might be more successful. See, I mean, the reality <laughs> is that there are basic rules in place. And one of the reasons why we call the book how the left plans to steal the next election is because what we identified was that the lawyers that fight against those things that Ms. McEnany just outlined, right? The lawyers that fight against states trying to remove dead or illegal voters from their voter rolls, the lawyers that fight against states trying to implement voter ID laws, they tend to be funded by the same people that fund these political get out the vote operations that, that then collect as many voters as possible and funnel them through the loopholes that the lawyers help make sure still exist, right? And so I think that's one of the many ways in which fraud can happen. So that's another reason why, you know, I think people are concerned. Pennsylvania, a state that's obviously hotly contested right now, has a history of voter fraud allegations, right? The Secretary of State resigned after the last election in 2016 because he presided over a system in which he admitted that illegal immigrants were allowed to vote. We've had problems in Michigan. We have we've had Detroit city officials that have presided have been actually been charged with voter fraud. That's happened in Philadelphia as well. So uh, yeah, right. I think we know that on the ground, local officials are susceptible to the allure of corruption and the payoff that comes with that. And at the state level, we know systemic vulnerabilities exist because states have been prevented from putting common sense safeguards like voter ID, 
like signature verification. And so what we're left with is a system with low confidence, and we're sort of seeing in real time what that means for American democracy. Okay, so Eric, you said an interesting word there, systemic, and I think that's really now the question. No one's saying there's not, there hasn't been voter fraud, obviously, in the past. We even know that clearly there's been voter fraud in this election. I think it's pretty, even, even the media will acknowledge there's cases of voter fraud in every election. But the question is systemic. The question is widespread. I mean, how how challenging will this be in this current environment with the Trump what the Trump campaign is trying to do here? That's a that's a tall task, is it not? It's an incredibly tall task, not the least of which because essentially we're being told, I think, by mainstream media outlets that to even suggest the idea that the systemic vulnerabilities that are proven to exist that they could lead to fraud and that that's worth investigating before we certify a consequential presidential election, that somehow that's undermining American democracy, right? David, you know this. Uh, Al Gore took 37 days before he conceded, and that was with only one state that was up for grabs, right? We've got numerous states that I think have some tough questions to answer. And so to me, it's undermining American democracy and more specifically, confidence in American democracy if we don't make sure that like, while we all hope only legal votes were counted, Let's go ahead and take the next step and do an auditing to make sure that that's the case, right? Uh, now, even if we do find, as I'm sure we will, that illegal votes cast, does that mean that they will be sufficient in terms of like to be greater than the margin of victory in some of these states? Maybe not. But I think we're learning important lessons that hopefully will help shape what new laws and additional safeguards might impact future elections. That's what we should all kind of be on the same page about right now, I think. Well- Yeah, for sure. And I want to have you back on at some point to talk about what safeguards can be put in place next time around. Because, Eric, I mean, straight up, this this can't this can't keep going on like this. I mean, to to, to, to be in what what's happening now is really just bad for the country. And I got about 10 seconds. What, What do you say? No, I totally agree. And I think if nothing else, that we can have an honest conversation about how vulnerable the system is and the need for improvement. That's positive for America. Eric Eggers, a real pleasure. Hope you'll come back on because remember, you are in the upper echelon. I'm up there. I'm ready to go. (laughs) Okay, thanks, Eric. Uh, Eric Eggers in rarefied air here on the water cooler. All right. Uh, When we come back, we're going to do the last sip. We have a not a little fun. It's more analysis. And in this case, here's the question. Is Joe Biden president elect? Is he just Joe Biden? Is he the guy in the basement? We'll sort it out. Back in a moment. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. All right, so I have just a really simple question, and I'm still trying to figure out the answer. Is Joe Biden president-elect, or is he not? All right, so I really do have the answer. I was kind of being sarcastic. The answer is, no, he's not. Uh, Now, I I know the media has crowned him president-elect, but clearly the memo hasn't gotten to certain people, definitely not the president, but also to the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, Mike Pompeo was asked about a transition from the Biden, from, from Trump to Biden as it relates to national security. And here's his answer about a smooth transition. There will be a smooth transition to a second Trump administration. 
<laughs> I'm sorry. That's funny. Boom, boom. I, I, that's where we need the rim shot. Parker, we should have had the rim shot. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, can we play it just one more time? I mean, I, I don't know. I'm calling for it a second time. Can we play that again? It was kind of funny. There will be a smooth transition to a second Trump administration. It's like, boom, drop mic, I'm out, Pompeo out. Uh, and here, here's uh, Senator Ron Johnson. How about this uh, as part of a tweet? Uh, th- this is interesting. This is what he said. I'm going to read it. The reporter said, so, Senator, have you congratulated Vice President Biden yet? And Senator Ron Johnson says, no. And the reporter says, why not? And Johnson says, nothing to congratulate him about. <laughs> well, I guess that means you're sticking uh, with Donald Trump for sure. Uh, look, folks, the media has crowned, uh, uh, I was going to say Donald Trump, the media has crowned Joe Biden president-elect, but we, just, we know that's not the case. And my issue has always been, as we, t- we talked with Paul Farhi earlier about this, my issue has been simply this. Do some shoe leather reporting. That, that's all I'm asking uh, the media to do here. And, and you know what? That's not controversial. It just isn't controversial. I mean, the idea that here on this show, we are actually covering, wait for it, the news. In other words, the legal battle ahead. What's so controversial about that? Absolutely nothing. Are we saying there has been voter fraud in this election and voter irregularities to the point where President Trump is going to all of a sudden become president of the United States? No one's saying that. We're not saying that at all. What we're simply saying is, you know what, there's a news conference, and whether it be Rudy Giuliani or Pam Bondi or Corey Lewandowski or or Kaylee McEnany, we're covering events. The problem is the media hasn't done any of that. They're not covering any of this. And even when they do, look at Neil Cavuto the other day. Kaylee McEnany has an actual press conference, and Neil Cavuto decides to get out of it. This is called censorship. This is where I need the sign. We've done this before. I can't find the sign. That's right. Maybe we can put that later in post. Censorship. Uh, The point is, is that this cannot continue. But here on this show, we're actually going to report the news. Back in a moment. There will be a smooth transition to a second Trump administration. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Uh, It is Veterans Day and a big, big thank you to all of the veterans, 18 million strong active uh, out there. And of course, all the veterans that became before them. I mean, let's be honest, we have no show uh, without them. Uh, Speaking of veterans, I want to bring in uh, just the news uh, anchor of uh, actionable intelligence, Eric Reitens. Eric, great to see you. Hey, David, great to be on with you, man. Uh, the show has been magnificent. It's well, been really, I, really magnificent. I appreciate so honored, it. Honored to be with no, you. No, continue today. to tell us about our show. No, no, no. Yeah. no, don't, no. Tell us about ve- the Veterans Day. You are obviously a veteran. Thank you for your service. I, and talk you, to me about this special. special you know, day. You're, you're welcome. It, it, I'm, it was an honor to serve, and I think every veteran will tell you it was an honor to serve this country. Uh, it, it, it's a wonderful thing. And many of your viewers might know that Veterans Day originally was Armistice Day. It was on November 11th because that was when peace came after World War I. Mm. Well, what happened in the United States was that after World War II and after the Korean War, Congress changed the name from Armistice Day to Veterans Day. And this is really, it's a day, and I would encourage everybody, it's a day to celebrate veterans. Right. You know, we have Memorial Day, which is a day where we set aside to, to honor those who have fallen. Veterans Day is really a day to celebrate, to go out there and thank veterans and to celebrate the, the freedom uh, that we all have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I could offer one thought. Please. Uh, it's so wonderful when people say thank you. The best thing that's ever happened to me, the best thank you that I've ever received is when somebody says, you know what, I was thinking about you. I was thinking about your service to the country 
and therefore I went out and did this. An act of compassion, an act of courage, an act of service, a donation to a veterans organization. They actually say to ourselves, because really, what have veterans done? We've helped to make our country stronger. We, we've, we've put in the time, we've gone out, we've served. What better way to really honor our veterans than ourselves to say, you know what? Let's go out and do something today as a citizen yep. that makes our community stronger, that makes our country stronger, because this is all of our country. Veterans have one way of serving in the military, but we can all serve. That's wonderful. Thank you again for you your bet. service. Of course. And your show, Wrapped in Patriotism, <laughs> Thank for you. sure. Thank all you. right. Uh, before we go, we do want to once again salute veterans across the country, especially we want to thank the many veterans on our staff here at Just the News, like Eric and others, Real America's Voice, and at Weather Nation. Until tomorrow, everybody, have a great week.